the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring nothing if not predictable. If you do not change direction, you may end up where you're heading. Low two. We've become creatures of habit, reacting in avoidance due to past damage rather than acting in the moment from clearly thought out intent. This knee-jerk method of coping with the world has us superimposing the events of the past onto the present and making a rerun out of the future. We end up doing the same things in the same ways and expecting different results. One definition of insanity. Not only does this approach restrict our mobility, cripple our lives, and ability to manifest, but it renders us utterly predictable. Anything that's predictable is also controllable. There are two sides to predicting human behavior as individuals or en masse. Data can be used to find safe passage and best serve all concerned or to exploit and control. To some extent, we are all being controlled by our patterns. Is this being used against us? How can we come out from underneath the yoke of our habitual behavior? Can we use the patterning of an entire society to predict the future and find our sweet spot in it? Can we use these predictions to change direction? and prevent impending disaster. Our guest this hour is in a unique position to offer some guidance on the subject. Dr. Sean D. Young is a UCLA medical school professor and the founder and executive director of the University of California Institute for Prediction Technology. The Institute brings together experts in psychology, medicine, business, and technology to study cutting-edge ways of using social media and mobile technologies to change and predict human behavior. The Institute's work is featured in top media outlets, including the New York Times, NPR, the Huffington Post, Yahoo Finance, TechCrunch, Mashable, and CBS News. Dr. Young is a frequent speaker on behavior change in the corporate world, giving talks to companies and organizations. 
He has a PhD in psychology and a master's in health service research from Stanford University. His website, seanyoungphd.com. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Thanks for having me, Gwilda. <laughs> you have to tell me, what exactly is prediction technology? Prediction technology is the ability to be able to use technologies to predict different events. So, so as you said, I'm a behavioral psychologist by training, and, and my interest is really in the psychology of understanding why people do things and how we can use that information to change and predict their behavior. Along the way, in, in some of the work that I did in, in graduate school and working at Stanford University, I was surrounded by people who were working on all kinds of new technologies. I was, uh, I was working for NASA Ames Research Center, working at Cisco, and in a part of the, the booming startup and social media phase. Uh, and so along with that, taking the, the psychology research that I was doing, I incorporated that with technologies and, and realized we can really use technologies to be able to uh, both predict and change behavior. So an example of that is uh, we've been able to look at what people are talking about on social media like Twitter, um, look at the conversations that they're having on Twitter and use that information to be able to predict real world events like disease outbreaks and, and currently working with government agencies on how we can predict and, and ultimately prevent disease outbreaks by mining social data to be able to predict what people are going to do in the future and what events are going to happen in the future. That's pretty fascinating. I, I can't hardly wrap my head around how what people are talking about on Twitter can give you an idea about diseases or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we first, when I mean, we, we continue to encounter this, but especially when we first started, um, people said that is not possible. Why are you even going to try and study this area? That's just not possible. We're going to have to pick up with this on the other side. Sean and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Realma McConnell Media Company. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. 
These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at Songs and Stories for Soldiers. Soldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is author Dr. Sean Young. His website, SeanYoungPhD.com. Sean, we got interrupted, and I didn't get to hear the finish of what you were saying. It was very fascinating about how we can predict, uh, how you can predict what's going to happen disease-wise or something based on conversations going on on Twitter. Would you mind resuming? Sure, sure. So so what we do, we, we start looking at what people are talking or or what they're doing online. And there's a, there's a, a background in a history of this in psychology, you know, long before technologies, we could observe people's behavior and see how they're acting. Uh, you can look at the directions people are moving with their eyes. You can look at people's body language. You can listen to their tone. There are a lot of things that we can do without technologies to be able to, to read people's behavior. Um, as technologies have come about like social media um, search Google search terms and, and online search and, and wearable devices like like Fitbits, Apple Watches. As those technologies have come about, they have provided a ton more data for us to be able to, to try to make sense of it. The, the question is, how do you make sense of that information? And we have worked on developing different approaches so that just like you can see when someone's folding their arms that they may be unhappy about something, um, you can be able to look into people's social media and use of technologies and be able to read and interpret what they're doing. So people on social media will, uh, I, I call this reading between the lines or, or reading between the tweets when it comes to Twitter. And, and you can see the, the conversation topics people were, will be talking about. So we've been able to identify um, people who are talking about health behaviors and be able to use that information, for example, to predict disease outbreaks. But broadly, what it comes down to is an understanding of behavior change and behavioral psychology and and really just understanding people. It, it's um, 
it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, if you're listening to people's conversations and, and, and drawing conclusions from that, is, is there any, do you feel like there's any invasion of privacy going on with that mo- modality? That's, that's always a question that comes up. So, so in, there are different ways of doing it. And in the case of, of Twitter, uh, it's all public information. So the analogy is if you are to say something on the street to someone else, that's public information. And if someone were to overhear you saying it or, or if you were folding your arms on the street or you're in an argument with someone else on the street, that's all public information. And so Twitter and, and a lot of technologies provide the same ways of being able to record human behavior. You can, um, you can access all this information publicly, just as you would from seeing things on the street and seeing people interacting on the street. Um, separately, we also do a lot of, of uh, detection or monitoring where we are following individual people. And, and we're only able to do that because through research that we're doing through our institute, we actually get people's informed consent. So if it's not, if they, if it's not public information for anyone to use, we have them sign a consent form and say, we are willing to have you follow us. Um, we are willing to have you track our information. And, and we've gone back and we've asked people, um, you know, what do you think about this? What are the risks and benefits of this? Um, what do, do we need to have more informed consent? And things change just year by year. I mean, even actually faster than year by year. Um, it's, it's now to the point where people are so used to companies tracking their information. And, you know, a lot of people have heard stories about, um, CVS when you slide a CVS card or a target card or make an Amazon purchase or write something on Facebook those companies are tracking you. They, they are aware of what you're doing and they're trying to use it to understand how to get you to purchase things. Uh, and people are more and more aware that anything they do digitally is being tracked and mined by companies to try to get them to purchase things or show them advertisements. And so what we found from asking people is that they say, you know, given that this is already being done by companies, you as a, a public health researcher and as a psychologist who are presumably doing this for our own public good, we support you on it. So when did you come up with the idea to use social media and mobile technologies? Yeah, it started uh, back in 2003 when I was when I was doing research uh, at Stanford for my graduate degree. And uh, and there were companies that were friends who had companies that were popping up overnight as Facebook came out and, and started allowing Facebook applications, companies that were coming out overnight and, and becoming huge hits. And, and uh, a friend of mine pulled me to work with him at, at Cisco Systems, um, and I had been studying psychology. And, uh, and we had this idea of, let's create what was called a, a mind map. Um, let's try to be able to understand people's psychology by looking at what they're doing online. And this is now pretty common. You know, I gave the examples of, of what is happening um, with, with uh, Facebook, with, with Amazon, with different companies, but this wasn't happening at the time. And so we had to start from scratch. You know, right now there are, there are advertisements where when you go on Facebook, when you go on Google, you'll see advertisements. But if you can remember back about 10 years ago, um, there were still those advertisements, but they were terrible. They were not at all tailored for you. Um, you know, the, the kinds of, I remember getting advertisements for, to buy new high heeled shoes and I don't wear high heeled <laughs> shoes. So. Well, you know, but I have noticed that, that if I've shopped for anything anywhere online, the next time I look at a, a social media or, um, yes, a online stopwatch or any number of things, all of a sudden, the very thing I was looking at is up there trying to peddle itself. And that feels a little invasive to me. Yeah, yeah. Things have, technologies have come a long way in being able to target um, target advertisements and, and be able to to make them more tailored for people. Um, it feels, it definitely feels invasive for some people. It's, it's, changed over time. I mean, it, it used to feel invasive for a lot more people. If, if you remember um, back 
in 2014, there was a study, uh, Facebook did a study where they were, there was a lot of press attention, bad attention from them manipulating their users. Um, but since then, it's, it's almost expected. I think an analogy is, is, uh, you know, here in, in California, and I assume with the rest of the nation, an analogy could be gas prices. Um, we had, maybe it was about a, a year and a half ago when gas and oil prices were high. It, it was outrageous to think, you know, gas prices were $4 a gallon. But once it, once it reaches that peak and then comes back down, um, people are not as concerned or uh, it's not as big of a shock when it starts moving back up because at least it's not over $4 a gallon. Uh, and I think that same that just same human psychology exists. And, and as people are being tracked more and more, they're being more comfortable with it. Younger generations are now expecting that this is just part of life. Um, but, but the way I see it is that it's not necessarily, a, I think you're maybe alluding to it's, it's a bad thing. It's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's a, it's a tool. It's an approach. It's something we've really learned how to do, um, and continue to learn how to do. But there are good and bad applications of it as with anything. So we hope and, and believe that the, the work we're doing for public good, that while companies are out there trying to, to get people to, to buy, to download apps, to download videos, or to buy new pairs of shoes, we believe that by giving information to empower um, public health organizations, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the, the California Highway Patrol, um, and right, police but, departments. But Sean, I, I understand that you're coming at it from an altruistic standpoint. But if, if, if these um, predictions are fairly accurate, and they're using people's private conversations or written conversations on social media. What about the people that are going to misuse it? Just like with with anything, I mean, there are there there will be people who will misuse anything. There are people who are using computers for good and bad things. There are people who are using computers for education and computers for hacking and 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 cyber terrorism. Um, I think that's just a broad question and something we need to be aware of with whether it's a technology or any new approach. There will be people who will use it for good and people who will use it for bad things. Um, I mean, as a, as a researcher, I just, I focus on, I want to use it for good things and I want to try as much as possible to show new ways that people can use it for good things um, how, and contribute at least tell? to the... How can you tell if, if the way it's being used is good or bad? How, how can you judge that? So there's a, I mean, that's, that's a, a pretty big question, interesting question. Um, and researchers would answer that question from ethics research, from the perspective of we can actually study that. Um, it, it gets into a much broader question, but the, the short answer I would say is just like you can study biology, just like you can study psychology, just like you can study mathematics. And just as you can have policy implications from what you study, you can study ethically what the right decision is to make. You can interview people, you can have surveys, you can um, observe people's behavior. Those ethics, that, that line of what is the right thing to do is going to change with time um, as things that we do today. Uh, you know, if you just think about um, people's comfort in talking about sex or people's comfort with sexual identities, you know, things that were appropriate today might not have been appropriate before. And so that line of ethics changes, but the short answer is you can study it and, and decide what is ethical and, and what is appropriate and create policy recommendations based on it. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, like you say, things change with time. Um, the conversation we're having... Five ten years ago, it would have been science fiction, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one, we, you wouldn't be able to do it, and two, it's like Big Brother's watching, right? Yep, yep. I mean, it, the one of the common questions I'll get, I, I wrote a piece for the New York Times on using social data to monitor and predict crime, and that immediately pops up in people's mind. Minority Report is this Minority Report, and uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, it is a concern for people to be monitored. Uh, and we didn't have these 
technologies. We didn't have these approaches uh, 10 years ago and, and we're constantly changing. Um, I often, I'll, I'll start off with presentations that I give on this topic showing uh, a picture from the movie Moneyball with uh, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. You know, and I'll, I'll say, who knows, who knows what, what is this a picture of? And, you know, 90% of people have seen Moneyball, so they know what it is. And then I ask, okay, what is Moneyball about? And depending upon who they are, people will give different responses or depending upon which audience I'm, I'm talking to. So, um, you know, if I'm talking to a group of... Looks like it's time for a quick break. Sean and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Relmar McConnell Media Company, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? 
There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Dr. Sean Young, author of Stick With It, The Hidden Forces Behind Lasting Change. His website is seanyoungphd.com. Sean, how accurate are these predictions that you've been doing? Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. But guess what? You're not alone. You may not know it now, but support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help find you a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com to explore the possibilities. Paycom has something to say about payroll. When it isn't right, a lot can go wrong. And it's the employee who ends up suffering the most. After all, their livelihood depends on an accurate paycheck every time. And when they don't get that, they're placed in a tight financial spot, leading to insufficient funds, overdraft fees, missed payments, and other nightmares. Not to mention a lack of confidence and trust in their employer. With Betty, new from Paycom, employees do their own payroll. That means they gain full visibility into their paychecks and can resolve any issues and approve their checks before payroll is processed instead of after for greater accuracy and peace of mind. And best of all, they get a perfect paycheck every time. The future of payroll is here. Learn more at paycom.com slash Betty. That's paycom.com slash B-E-T-I. They vary based on on what we're trying to uh trying to look at. So we have, I think HIV is, is a, an example where we've come to some high accuracy. We have about 97% accuracy. Um, we can predict changes state by state or county by state, uh, county by county changes in HIV trends, um, from year to year. But then on, you know, then we've been looking at other topics that we begin starting and, and maybe we're only 30% accuracy, which obviously we need to continue refining. So it, it really depends upon the topic and, and there are a number of things that can let us know if we'll be um, in advance, if we'll be good or, or not good at predicting it. Okay. So basically some things lend themselves well to this modality and others not so much. Correct. Yep. Uh, so you speak of using also using social media and mobile technologies to change human behavior. How does that work? Yeah, that's that's the topic of you mentioned the the book Stick With It. So this will be coming out in June, and and really the the topic of that book is how do we change human behavior, and and not only how do we change human behavior, but how we change it and stick with it. And, and those are two separate questions, separate but related questions. So psychologists for for many years have studied how we change behavior uh and there are a number of different methods you know some going back a hundred years of how we change behavior more recently there's there's been some advances in social and cognitive psychology but those are are primarily based on how we change behavior once Um, so those experiments the studies were done typically on university students where you you bring them into a lab um, and you you manipulate something in front of them and see if it changes them. Uh, what we've been doing more recently in, in a new type of psychologists are, are doing who are, like myself, working in the medical school or working in business schools, we've been doing longitudinal studies where we work with, we work with people, not just undergraduate students, but we work with actual people 
people who are affected by things like diseases or, or who want to change behaviors long term. And we track and see um, the science behind how you get them to not only change, but how to stick with that change. So that's... Okay, so are we, let me clarify, are we talking about an individual that's wanting to change their behavior, the studies are going towards that, or are we talking about changing uh, societal behaviors? We're talking about both. We are, we're talking about both. Yeah, that's a great question. So we, in, in some of the studies that we will do, um, some of them will be people who want to change their behavior. For example, uh, we're doing research. We, we've just finished up a study right now with, with pain patients at UCLA. So they have chronic pain. They've had it for much of their lives. They've been prescribed medications that are highly addictive and are at risk for addiction and overdose. And they want to get rid of their pain. They want to not be relying on these medications. And obviously, they, they don't want to be addicted or, or to overdose. And so we're able to help them to change their behaviors. Uh, and, and we do that through using technologies, but you can do it with or without technologies. Um, you, know, uh, you know, what I find fascinating here is it seems like, you know, you're coming from two different sides with the same modality. So you're predicting behavior, and then you're also using the technology to change behavior. How'd you come up with that? Absolutely. I mean, that's, I started with the idea of, of changing behavior, but, but to me, it's, it's one and the same. I think, I am I'm not someone who's in academic interested purely in just theory where it's one thing. I'm I'm very applied. I want to come up with solutions. And and it's really difficult to be able to change something if you don't know why that thing is happening. If you want to um if you want to get people we work with a lot of HIV um populations at risk for HIV to try to get them to test. If you don't know why people aren't testing for HIV, it's really hard to change it. But once you start learning why they are not testing, then you can start to predict who would be likely to actually test for it. And so to me, they're, they're one and the same. We, we often start by looking at prediction and monitoring in order to get an idea of a person's psychology or group psychology. And once we have that understanding, we can make some predictions and learn both how do we change their behavior as well as who should we change the behavior of. Because... Uh, if we predict that there's going to be a potential outbreak of HIV in rural Indiana, um, then that means we should start dedicating resources, figuring out how we can change people's behavior. Okay, so do you, uh, where do you stand on permission? Do you implement these changes without permission? Uh, no. So everything that we do is in the context of research where... Mm -hmm where we are, it, well, there are two parts of it. There's the prediction part of it, which, like I mentioned, one part of the prediction is all public information. So we can look at um, what people are searching for on Google and use that as a proxy for, um, for whether there are, where there's gonna be an outbreak of, of uh, syphilis or HIV. That, that is public information, so we don't, uh, we don't obtain permission because we don't even know the people who we're tracking. We're doing it that's, at that's such a, a good, high level. Yeah, that's a good point. So you're just looking at numbers. You're not looking at individuals. Correct. We're looking at numbers and we're looking at locations. But then then, it, then to do our actual studies to see can we change behavior, what we do is recruit a number of people to, into a study. And just like a drug trial, um, you know, you could imagine you can't just give someone a drug um, you have to get their permission that they're part of a study. We do the same thing. We recruit people into a study. We divide them up into a, to one of two groups usually to see if our, um, typically we assign them to our HOPE intervention group, which stands for Harnessing Online Peer Education, and it's an online community. So we'll have them join our online, our HOPE online community, or um, a what's called a control group where there's where they're not being changed. Um, and then we'll see, do they improve? And we find consistently that people who are in our HOPE communities um, change their behavior. They're about two to three times as likely actually to change their behavior. And, so, then, and then once we find out and once we realize that they are able to change and our community was successful, 
then we can go to public health organizations. We can go to different organizations and and tell them how we've been able to create change and work with them on a, a larger level um, to create a, a policy reform. So have there been any independent studies on you've been doing lots of studies. Have there been any independent studies on what you're doing? Uh, what do you mean by independent studies? Well, you're doing your own studies. Has someone studied your results or your outcome outside of you? Whenever you, whenever we publish a paper, whenever we we uh, create a study, um, the the academic process for that is then you submit it to a journal. Um, mm -hmm. That journal has three, typically three to five or six independent reviewers who are experts in the field who review it. Mm -hmm. And they look through the methods that were conducted. They look through the results um, and they come back and they provide feedback or criticism and ultimately decide whether this is high level science. Um, and we've published uh, 60 or 70 papers. So gone through that process many right. times where independent people have have uh, looked through it and, and validated it. And then outside of my own studies that I do, I'm often um, a consultant or, or involved in as an advisor in helping other people design their studies on behavior change. And nice. they've conducted their studies and, and found similar results. What do you see as the future of prediction technology? That's the, the far future? I don't know. That's, it's a good question. Um, I think... I think I would say in the middle future, which which would be something um, that might be an interesting prediction that I'll make, which is right now data are coveted. Um, companies and people are fighting over access to data. Data are, are private. So um, so all of the, the questions that you're asking, you know, you're asking a lot of privacy questions centered around the idea that people want to keep their data. They don't want other people to know what is um, what they're doing and what is happening. Um, and I would predict that in not too far in the future, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, that's going, I wouldn't say not going to be a question anymore, but um, very little that's it's going to be less important of a question because data will be everywhere and people will not be as reluctant to share their data. Um, and so what that means is that instead of data being so valuable, um, data will be more of a, a commodity that data will just be available for use. And there will be ends of machines and computer scientists and new technologies that are making use of the data in new ways that have never been done before. So it's um, a brave it, new world, right? It's a, gotta, it's a type of brave new world. Yeah. You got to be brave to be in it. <laughs> you're yeah. a frequent, you're a frequent speaker on behavior change in the corporate world. Can you tell us a little about that? Sure. Sure. Uh, so often companies want to know about organizational behavior change, um, startups, a, a big question for startups is how do I survive? You know, how do and and survive means how do if we're building in in the the world that I live in with startups, I, I'm typically referring to technology startups. So people who are developing um, mobile applications, um, people who are developing um, head-mounted display technologies like virtual reality goggles or or smart watches and things like that. And mm -hmm. how do I survive means if I build this thing, how do I know people will actually use it and continue buying it? And that really, just like almost everything else in life, is a question that comes down to behavior change. Uh, not just behavior change, but sticking with behavior change. And so these are things that I address in the, the book. In the book I talk about, there are seven forces, as I call it, behind lasting change. And, and I present a model of how do you get people to change and stick with it? And it's a, a framework called science, um, where each letter of science represents one of these seven forces. Uh, and, and these seven forces together can teach people how they can continue to get themselves or others to change. So that's something that not just the corporate world, but individuals who are trying to stick with a New Year's resolution to, to exercise more or um, just people who want to 
have a hobby like learning a new language or learning a new instrument and have not been able to stick with it. Um, this book and, and that the principles behind lasting change would be helpful for them so that they can be able to change their behavior and stick with it. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, load, a loaded gun. If you're using it on yourself, it's one thing, but if you're using it to manipulate the masses, it can be a little scary. I'd like to talk about that on the other side. We're going to have to take a break. Sean and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, 
the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Our guest this hour is founder and executive director of UCIPT, Dr. Sean Young. His website, seanyoungphd.com. Sean, we were talking about how this data... Uh, that you're collecting is a very profound, very powerful, and can be a bit of a loaded gun um, in the hands of someone that's just trying to manipulate people without any um, um, morals behind it. Um, how do you, I mean, this has always been the case, right? You come out with raw data and it can be used either way. How do you see us as individuals being able to not participate if we choose not to? That's well, <laughs> it's it's easy in one sense. It's really difficult in, in others. So the easy answer is shut yourself off from all devices. Um, stop using your phone. Stop using Facebook or Twitter or, or um, anything else. Uh, and and uh, yeah, stop stop using smartwatches and, and other technologies. So that would be the, the easy answer, but which is really difficult to do because we're so dependent on those devices um, the the uh, yeah I, I think that I'll give an example for myself I mean I'm very aware of of monitoring from from the things that I'm doing the research that I'm doing um, like like the people in our studies I'm very comfortable with public health researchers and, and people using it for social good and and I would happily volunteer my data to be used for social good, just like um, just like people participate in science for social good. But I'm also aware that there are people hacking into devices all the time. I, on my um, on my computer where the webcam is, I keep it covered when I'm not using it. Um, there are people hacking into baby cams. There are um, there are always people out there who are now learning the ability to hack into things and, and use data in ways that we don't want them to, and that can be dangerous for individuals and society. Um, it's, it's just a, really a constant race to, to just like when the, the computer was created, um, it, it was created and, and personal computers made life much more efficient, but with it, they also create a lot more problems. Cars, yeah. cars get yeah, people so- from place to place, but... It can kill people, and I think just being aware of of the risks of these technologies and risks of these approaches is important for the conversation so we can create policy around how to prevent um, unwanted effects from it. So how about habits? It seems to me like all of this is cracking habits as well as trying to break habits. So aren't we talking about habits here that make us predictable? Sort of. I would... I, habits has a very particular connotation. You know, as a psychologist, I'll get I'll get picky about it, um, and, and I'll explain why in in a minute. So, in general, um, people talk about habits, and when they talk about habits, they mean things that we do commonly. Um, and so, if if that's what you're referring to, then yes, these are just things that we do. Um, but more specifically, habits are to a psychologist and scientifically habits are things that we do unconsciously. Typically they're, they're things that we, we do over and over. Um, usually the, the very frequently, and we're not even thinking about it. So an example of, you know, we'll, we might say, um, you know, I have a habit of, of 
getting really angry whenever I'm in traffic, um, or I have a I have a habit of of uh, leaving my leaving my shoes around um, or leaving my my wallet when I when I walk away um, and go out of the house. Other things, um, there are things that are very unconscious. So um, I have a habit of of uh, biting my nails. Let's say someone might have or. Or I have a habit of uh, of of when I'm in the middle of running, I'm 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 still running. I'm not even aware that I'm running. Um, the what, reason what's... why that matters, the reason why that matters, are different ways to change different behaviors. Um, so, what, and so what's the difference? What's the difference between a garden variety habit and OCD? A garden variety habit. So, garden variety habit is, you know, we. Colloquially, we talk about habits as just anything that we're doing. So, um, I have a, a a bad habit of of eating too much. Well, if if I'm eating too much and I'm not aware of it, then that's a that's a definition of of habit for psychologists. But OCD is something that people typically are aware of. They're aware that they're doing. You know, a classic example is is checking locks. Um, you know, I check a lock over and over again. Typically, the person is aware that they are checking a lock, um, but they continue to do it. Um, and and so the the difference is if the the way I define habits and psychologists typically define habits are things that are unconscious. So OCD may be a habit if it's something that's done repetitively and without awareness, but it may not be a habit. It may just be something that are that people are doing that they don't want to keep doing but they're aware of while they're doing it then it's an important distinction because uh, again in the book i talk about these differences and and the differences matter because the way we change those behaviors differ um, based upon whether it's something we're aware of or not that's really okay. the big that's really the, the distinguishing difference. factor yeah, yeah. So do, do other people, or for that matter, the systems, control us through our habits? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, if you know what a person unconsciously, habitually does, can't you control them through their behavior, their unconscious behavior? If you know like, what a person... Okay, so uh, say, for, say, for instance, if, um, uh, if I know that this person will get angry every time I, I say a certain thing, and um, I want them to be angry and come across poorly in public. All I have to do is say that thing. I mean, I watch people control each other mm -hmm. through their unconscious habits all the time. Have you seen that, and how can we prevent that? Yeah, I, I don't think that's something uh, that's that is human nature, human psychology, and that's the basis of our interventions and our research. So. Um, so we started off talking about prediction and, and understanding people. And, and what you're really saying is, um, I think what you're saying is, if we're able to predict people, then are we able to change them? And absolutely. And that's the purpose of, of learning how to predict people. From, from my perspective, we want to learn how to predict people and things so that we can change it and improve it. Um, it goes back to... Um, you may want to prevent that if you believe that people are only using that information for negative things. If you believe that they're trying to use it to harm you, then you will want to prevent it. But if people are using it for positive things to, um, to promote better health, to create global health, to bring people clean drinking water, then you wouldn't want to prevent it. And, uh, but how do you prevent it? Uh, it goes back to the question of of how do you prevent people from having their data? You can shut off devices. You can um, you can detach yourself digitally. You can't really, as soon as you're interacting with other people, as soon as you know your conversation, things that I'm saying right now, um, my tone, my words, this is creating. Uh, people can use this information to predict what I'm going to do or say in the future. The only it, way for me to you stop know it does, would be to it, just cut it, it does. Off. Yeah, well, there's another way, though, isn't there? It seems to me we've gone full circle, and the bottom line here is knowing yourself, bringing your unconscious behaviors conscious, choosing rather than just reacting. Is that accurate at all? 
people are people do what i don't i don't think on the level of of consciousness i i observe people's behavior and see what i observe so it doesn't matter to me whether you are conscious or not um if if i see if i see a large group of people whether they're conscious or not i can be able to look at that information and learn how to predict what they're doing next so consciousness doesn't really um, whether people are conscious or not that doesn't prevent people from being able to predict what they're going to do in the future but if you're conscious of it don't aren't you able to choose what you do in the future more readily than if you're unconsciously ah. reacting ah okay so on the on an individual level you're saying okay yes absolutely absolutely and that's that's really the reason for why i wrote this book because people would come to me frequently saying how do i you know i want to I went to the doctor, I was told to take this medication, I want to take the medication, but I keep forgetting or I'm not taking it. Or every January 1st, I make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to go to the gym three, four or five days a week. I do it for a week or two and then I quit. Um, so how do I get myself to keep doing it? Um, and that was the, the rationale for writing this book where there's actually a science behind how you do that. Um, consciousness is a big part of it. Um, consciousness, you know, surprisingly to a lot of people, consciousness is not required. You don't need to be conscious in I'm order going to, to. I'm going to have to call it quits. It's been fun talking. You know, time flies and I'm afraid we're out of it. Thanks for being on the show. Right. Our guest this hour has been author of Stick With It, The Hidden Forces Behind Lasting Change, Dr. Sean D. Young. His website is seanyoungphd.com. This has been The Science of Magic. For in-depth exploration of leading-edge subjects from numerous authorities and viewpoints, join our email family to receive our tropic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you embrace lasting change. Yeah.